I'm Asil Ibrahim and I head up the HR division at Tiger Recruitment. Welcome to Tiger HR Tales, the podcast for HR and talent professionals looking for a little bit of advice on topical issues from those who've experienced it all before. Each month, I invite an expert to join me on the couch to chat about a topic that's near and dear to their heart in the hope that it helps other HR professionals working today. Today, we're discussing the importance of intersectionality being at the front and center of your DNI policies and practices. A quick definition to get us started. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, intersectionality is the way in which different types of discrimination are linked to and affect each other. Intersectionality, like many aspects of diversity and inclusion, have come to the fore over the past 12 months, and for good reason. You can't successfully eliminate discrimination in the workplace unless you're addressing all types of discrimination, be that gender, sexuality, race, ableism, the list goes on. And that's because people are more complicated and multifaceted than just one of these defining characteristics. By looking at DNI through an intersectional lens, it will ensure employees will feel more comfortable in bringing their whole self to work. To help us learn more about intersectionality and what, can, what you can do to ensure your workplace is considering these intersections when implementing your DNI initiatives, we're, ta- we're chatting to Zainab Al-Farabi, Diversity and Inclusion Lead at the Teenage Cancer Trust. Zainab is a DNI specialist with a holistic and intersectional approach to inclusion. She has a strong track record in, in creating inclusive workplaces and services. She's a qualified lawyer who left the corporate world to move into the charity sector and DNI, aligning with her passion to advocate for social justice causes. This led her to Stonewall, the UK's largest LGBTQ rights charity, where she advised organisations on their LGBTQ inclusion work alongside their wider DNI objectives through Stonewall's workplace programme. She's currently diversity and inclusion lead at the Teenage Cancer Trust and is creating their diversity and inclusion strategy and driving forward their work in this area. Welcome, Zainab. Hi, Asil. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here today. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining. It's it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, So, Zainab, let's start by discussing a little bit. I know you've touched on it, but what is intersectionality? So um, the term was coined um, over 30 years ago um, in 1989 um, by Kimberly Crenshaw, who is a legal scholar. um, And the term's really gained traction in recent years, as you mentioned. But it is really important to acknowledge that it is rooted in black feminism. So she coined this word to describe how race, class, gender and other individual characteristics um, intersect with one another and overlap. um, And this kind of changes your experiences. and and the way that you move through the world. Um, She talks about the double bind that black women face um, at the intersection of um, these two types of discrimination. Um, And she she kind of goes on to explain that there's real limitations with um, having a single issues um, analysis of things. Um, She also kind of uh, gives a really good example of describing uh, discrimination um, and traffic um, so they meet at kind of an intersection and one may flow in one direction and the other may flow in another. Um, but, in if, but if an accident happens in that intersection, 
um, it can be caused by cars kind of coming in a number of different directions and sometimes all of them. So it's not necessarily just one car coming out um, of nowhere all the time. Um, so I think it's really important to acknowledge um, the roots of that, um, particularly where black women um, and their labor and their work is often um, not credited. Um, so yeah, that's kind of um, an explanation from Kimberly Crenshaw's um, kind of terms specifically. Um, but yeah, it's really important to uh, acknowledge that there are underrepresented groups and marginalized mm. groups who often face double or triple discrimination in society and the workplace. Um, a yeah. nice quote as well that also sums this up is Audrey um, Lord, who um, is an American writer and activist who says, we do not live single um, issue lives, which I think is a really nice way mm. um, of summing it up. Um, and just with my yeah. personal experience, it's not, you know, I don't leave the house uh, one day and go, oh, I'm a woman today. Tomorrow I'm going to be a person of colour and I'm only going to let kind of mm -hmm. racism or, or sexism affect me this day and that day. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we are multifaceted beings and, uh, you know, that that is a really nice and interesting definition that you've presented to us. Um, so are there any dangers, like is intersectionality um, at risk of becoming a buzzword or a tick box? Absolutely. So um, mm. I think with a lot of DNI work, I think people see it as, um, you know, political correctness gone mad or um, wokeism is another term that's kind of being thrown out um, a lot. Um, people now are kind of talking about intersectionality kind of being victimization, you're playing the victim card, you're trying to overlay all your different identities. So the danger of uh, kind of doing it as a tick, tick box exercise um, or using it as a buzz buzzword plays straight into that. Mm. Um, and the thing is with tick box uh, exercises is that it's really transparent. It's transparent from so many different angles. It's transparent from your staff internally. They won't feel supported or brought into the work. Um, externally, when you're trying to attract um, kind of diverse talent into your organization yeah. it's really transparent so yeah it's also really interesting because I was reading an article um by Kimberly Crenshaw who kind of spoke about how the word is kind of being used in ways that she, you know she was like well, I didn't I didn't know that meant that like I didn't know that's what intersectionality meant it's not what it meant for me so mm. yeah people are kind of veering away from the true essence of of what intersectionality is. Thank you so much Zainab that's that's really insightful um, tell me a bit about your personal experience with intersectionality. Um, so, yeah, so my identity, so I'm a woman of colour, um, so I'm from an Iraqi slash Iranian background. Um, and I kind of wanted to speak a little bit about my experience as um, a woman of colour and um, the resulting impact um, on my mental health mm -hmm. um, and how the, all these kind of um, identities um, intersect um, and yeah have a massive massive toll on my mental health yeah. um, it was interesting this year for mental health uh, awareness week and the theme was nature yeah. and it really made me reflect on um, my experience with nature as a person of color and as a woman specifically um, so I grew up as a not so outdoorsy person um, I traveled to the Middle East um, quite a lot with my mum. My mum wears a hijab. I used to wear a hijab as well up to the age of um, 15. Um, and then much to my parents' displeasure, I um, took it off. Um, 
but that kind of had a result on me being so outdoorsy so when my brother would for example go swimming or um you know going for long walks it wasn't really something that we did in my in my culture particularly in the middle east if you think about how hot it can get it's yeah. not exactly a thing that you do mm. so i kind of was thinking about it because i went traveling uh, a few years ago and i bought hiking boots and everyone was like haha this is ridiculous you know princess <laughs> Aina, what do you mean hiking boots um and I was like no you just watch me I'm yeah. I'm gonna love it um and it definitely was just like well this is what people who travel do right so I just um <laughs> was like let's give it a go the first hike that I did was in Colombia it's called um, the lost city track it was five days obviously I had no idea what to expect it was five days of basically hell uh within the first <laughs> half an hour it was, it was straight away uphill and I was like oh, oh my god I actually said to the tour guide please can I go back um, and she was like no we've just started please just give it a shot um and I basically spent the five days at the back with the second 65 year old tour guide um and to be honest I ended up loving it um it was funny because people kept kind of clapping uh as I was coming along to the breaks and I'd only have about five minutes break because I just took so long um <laughs> but I ended up um really loving it and I really love being outdoors now I really love walking um and yeah it's had such an impact on my mental health and we know the positive benefits of being outdoors being in green spaces um and it just made me think this year when I was thinking about oh I wonder why you, yeah I did go to parks and stuff but I wasn't really an outdoors um, outdoorsy person yeah. um, and I think that's that's a big part to play is is kind of my upbringing mm. yeah it's true it's like because um, I come from a, a Arab uh, background as well and it's interesting that like you know nature even and and to some extent like public spaces are very much um, you know women free zones yeah which is yeah um, yeah something that is you know to some extent replicated in the west as well where mm. you know sometimes not all men but some men feel that they kind of have this sense of ownership over public spaces and yeah. um, feel With very comfortable and, yeah absolutely yeah. gathering in groups on the on the street to kind of um comment on what they're seeing walk past is mm -hmm. you know Definitely. often quite intimidating for women Absolutely. It's also something interesting because we traveled to uh, Lebanon one year um, and, you know, there's lots of Muslims in Lebanon and, um, you know, it's it's uh, uh, there's lots of Christians as well and other religions. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, my mum was told to leave the beach um, because she was in a hijab, which I think was really interesting because we were like, well, you know, there's lots of Muslims here. What is going on? Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's a that's a really, really like I remember that like it was yesterday and just the the unfairness of what do you mean my mum's entitled to be on this beach and like dip her feet in the water if she wants to um, absolutely so yeah yeah it's such a complicated issue isn't it definitely okay um, so yeah I kind sorry. of also just wanted to touch on a little bit about my uh experience as well um as a woman specifically um growing up uh here as an Iraqi as well if that's okay mm -hmm. yeah that sounds great yeah so um I was born here, so my parents um, kind of came over from Iraq in the 70s, and um, they're quite conservative, um, and they are, yeah, quite religious um, Shia Muslims. Mm -hmm. um, my life is really different, so I live a bit of a double life, um, at the risk of outing myself on this podcast, um, but yeah, I'm not going to be too open about what I do get up to, yeah. but 
things that I can't kind of um, share with them or celebrate with them, including my work at Stonewall and what I get up to on the weekends. Mm. it's really still culturally taboo. Um, so yeah. I don't want to kind of conflate that with religion because there are lots of um, yeah. people, uh, for example, who are LGBT and religious, but mm-hmm. it's culturally taboo um, in uh, Iraq specifically to be LGBT. Um, yeah. And there's definitely things that um, I can't do, but my brother can do. Um, and my mum was very open and still is open in saying, but he's a boy and you're a girl. You can't do that. He can do this. Um, and yeah, that kind of has a massive impact on me. And I think that's why I have such a connection with LGBT people um, mm-hmm. just because I have to kind of edit myself constantly and it's really emotionally draining. Yeah. Um, and I also play, I have an older brother who is actually more like a younger brother. Um, so I have that really maternal role with him. So if, if my brother's not listening to my parents, I'm the one they turn to, to kind of, oh, you speak to him, he'll listen to you, you're the sensible one. Um, and, and that again, also, you know, it's not like I decided to have a child and it's almost like mm. you, get, you get given this child that you kind of worry about and stress about mm. alongside your your life. So yeah, those experiences have had a massive, massive impact and continue to have a massive impact on my mental health. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really, um, that's really powerful. Um, yeah because that 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 concept of living a double life is um probably like familiar to to a lot of people um to some extent and for various reasons um you know uh being able to 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 show your true self and that relates as well to the whole bring your true self to work um thing as well which is it seems a little bit selective you know bring yourself bring your true self to work providing you know, it's this, this, all this, um, mm-hmm. you know, so it's very, it can be a bit selective and, and hypocritical at times mm-hmm. as well. So talk to me a little bit more about your, so your personal experience with intersectionality. So, you you know, you're, you know, you're a, a female of colour, uh, you know, with mental health struggles and, and other complicated struggles as well. And, you know, that's a, that's a true example of, you know, a non-one-dimensional person this is Hmm. something that everyone can relate to you know we're all struggling with different things and um and identifying as different things um and that can change throughout your life as well because we are we are fluid um and not static so relating that back into the workplace and the dni work that you do i can i i think we're starting to understand why you're why you're such a passionate advocate for intersectionality and when we when we met and discussed what we want to talk about today on this podcast there was no question in your mind about you know it's it's got to be intersectionality you know I've got personal experience of this and there's so much work to do um, still in the workplace and and beyond regarding intersectionality. Absolutely Um, and yeah I'm I'm really pleased that you're able to kind of give me this platform to discuss this because it is something that's really kind of close Um, to my heart and and the work that I do. Um, Mm. I think there's lots of kind of ways um, to incorporate intersectionality. I think it it appears to be kind of scary at first. And I think that's actually because people don't necessarily understand what it means. So I think that's probably the first thing um, to kind of really think about is try and understand what it means. So there's a wealth of resource out there. Um, You know, Kimberly Crenshaw's articles, 
other podcasts um, uh, and explanations. So I definitely say do your research first, understand what it means, and also acknowledge its roots for the reasons I kind of mentioned before, um, and not kind of, yeah, not crediting uh, the rightful people and and the rightful person in this case is really important. Um, So I thought I would run through um, some different ways that people can kind of start to think about how to incorporate it into their DNI work. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one is not so exciting, but very important. Um, so looking at your policies, um, so within your diversity and inclusion policies, within your bullying harassment policies, um, reference intersectionality, um, go into examples of you know, bullying harassment um, of intersectional people. So, you know, Uh, someone being bullied or harassed for being a person of colour and LGBT or religious and LGBT um, and do the same in your training. Um, So kind of upskill people and educate them around intersectionality is really important. Um, So people don't make assumptions about you as well. So, you know, often I get that because I have a really Muslim name. I get lots Mm. of assumptions made about me and that's that's just not not correct. Um, Another really big thing is uh, data. So I had um, a phrase the other day, I can't credit who it was, who it was that said this, but um, I think it's a really useful phrase. So if you aren't counted, you don't count, which I think is a really accurate way uh, and good way of putting it. So if you're not actually collect- collecting data in the first place, you're not able to identify the barriers for people. And mm. um, going further than that, so firstly really important to collect that diversity data but also cut it across um, the intersectional identities so if you're looking at examples um, of experiences of women are you cutting that across you know looking at ethnicity and race so a woman of color's experience is going to be probably really different um, and there'll be distinct experiences coming from that so it's really important to use that data to identify barriers um, and more importantly tackle them and having actually Uh, tangible ways to do that and so there's a lot of HR systems that are becoming more advanced in doing this and being able to do this for you rather than having to do it um, manually Mm -hmm. and so yeah I think we're getting there slightly yeah and something else so it's it's literally what what you're doing right now so platforming and lived experiences and sharing people's stories so particularly in spaces so I work in the charity sector um, we know that, and I, I used to work in the legal sector, and we know that they can be sectors that aren't necessarily diverse. Um, so, you know, share that experience, platform those voices, so people who aren't in the room. So often I get, you know, people say, but we don't have intersectional identities or experiences or even diverse um, people in our, in our organisations. What do we do? There's lots of people outside of your organisation who um, have got that experience and are willing to share um, or be remunerated um, for that. Um, yeah. And that's gonna be something that re- is gonna really help you to attract um, diverse um, and intersectional identities into your organization as well. Cause people will think, oh, they really understand this um, mm-hmm. and they're proud to celebrate this. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something that, again, that's, that's super important. Um, I think there's, there's quite a few other things. So I'll just, run through them hopefully it'll be helpful to people but um so events and calendar um days throughout the year so we know that that's something that's really big in the dni world um it's really important um, and it's great to see so many organizations um you know having events um covering diversity and inclusion topics um 
but think about panels and how diverse your panels are um, and whether you're sharing intersectional experiences. So again, you don't, it doesn't need to be from your organization necessarily. But for example, with your gender events, are you thinking about trans women? Are you thinking about women of color and their experiences, disabled women? Um, there's a particular stigma in um, people of color's um, uh, kind of communities where it, it's there's a still massive stigma with things around mental health, around disability. So it is important to think about that um, in your work. Um, another example is looking at Pride Month. Um, you know, you're looking at older LGBT people's experiences, LGBT people of color's experiences. So looking at that kind of intersectional struggle. So, you know, Pride yeah. started out as a protest against police brutality um, in New York City in 1969 with the Stonewall riots. So there's a really yeah. close intersection um, there and kind of a, mm -hmm. a struggle that's really connected. Yeah. Another big thing is to um, have links with employee resource groups. Um, so if you have kind of separate distinct um, resource groups, that's really great because you do need to have safe spaces for people, but think about how you're connecting them um, and having events that uh, cross over because they will interplay um, and cross over. So think about how people can work together. Um, yeah. So that intersectional kind of solidarity piece that I was I was just talking about. Mm. Another big thing is um, your senior lead leader messaging. So this ties in with the training piece um, in terms of you need to kind of develop your senior leaders understanding and intersectionality rather than them just saying anything or the wrong thing. And mm. um, so definitely work to kind of educate them. But yeah, having that senior leader messaging is also really important because it sends a really strong message from top down to the rest of the organization about how important this is yeah. um, and how it's a key part of your DNI work. That's so key because they really set the tone, don't they? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And if they're not allies um, and exactly. they're not on board, then it's a really, really difficult struggle for um, EDI professionals within organizations who face resistance at the top. Exactly. And I think, um, yeah, I'm really pleased to say I don't I don't have that challenge at Teenage Cancer Trust, but I know that lots of um, EDI professionals really have that. So to have mm. that buy-in from senior leaders uh, is really crucial, like you say. Yeah. Um, and the last one uh, that I wanted to kind of cover was looking at your products um, and services and how inclusive this is to intersectional identities. So, you know, get feedback from intersectional groups of people. If they're not using your services, why not? And I think having that feedback is really, really important. So start to think about mechanisms um, in your policies, your practices, to try and start that conversation, both internally and externally, to really think about, you know, what's missing here? Who are we not um, appealing to? Um, and think about ways to um, combat that. Mm -hmm. um, so I appreciate I've kind of gone through quite a few different things there, um, but it's really important, I think, as key calendar days approach, um, for example, Black History Month in October, start thinking about how you can make um, this intersectional. Um, and I'm more than happy to speak to anyone um, after this as well. Amazing. Yeah, Zainab, this has been such a great conversation because, you know, you've brought so much of yourself to it as well. And I think, you know, it's so, your story is so relatable. Um, and I think, you know, not only have you shared so much of yourself today, but you've also, you know, this is truly a, an episode where people want to grab a pen and paper 
um, and kind of, you know, will leave knowing that they've got a, a toolkit and a framework in which they can implement um, policies within their organization, um, as well as look at the full kind of holistic spectrum of how, how to really succeed in, in achieving a truly intersectional approach. Um, so I can't thank you enough for today. It's been enlightening, informative, and you know, uh, a really authentic conversation. So thank Thanks you so, so much. So, so much. Thank, you. thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Um, and to anyone that wants to continue the conversation with Zainab, um, she's very open to uh, messages on LinkedIn. So please look up um, Zainab Al-Farabi at the Teenage Cancer Trust and she'll be more than happy to continue the conversation with you should you require any further guidance or, or just to connect as, as human beings. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you.